All right. <clears throat> Thank you, David. It feels like we could just, you know, wrap up, have a song, and just be on our way, right? So, uh, so good morning. Well, maybe back the gain off a little bit. Maybe that'll help. So, uh, May the Lord's grace and peace be with each one of you uh, on this super day. It is indeed a good day, Sunday, the day we celebrate the Lord's resurrection. May it, be, uh, it may be winter out there as we have a fresh coating of snow, but we know that God is at work even when the earth might seem dormant here in the northern hemisphere. Uh, so I want to start here with a little video. The wrestling match. Whoa. Ooh. Let's see that again in slow motion. There you go. Wow. This in wrestling would uh, be called as a term. This would be a what? To be really athletic, that's for sure. <laughs> also a reversal. This would be a reversal. And uh, I think it just, this is just a picture of what we see happening in our text today. Um, it's a good represent, representation. And this is on the mat. Uh, the reversal can be um, a beautiful thing to watch, specific, just in life, but in sports for sure. Uh, whether it happens in a single moment, what we just saw here uh, in, in this wrestling move, or maybe perhaps it's over a season. Uh, perhaps when, uh, like in uh, a team, like a football team, a basketball team, a baseball team, when they go from worst to first, there is a reversal in fortune. When we witness a reversal of those who were on the bottom, and now they are on the top. Uh, maybe on the top in a position of popularity, of power, of, of control, perhaps. And those that, who had power and control and status, good fortune. Those, um, those who win all the time now finding themselves on the bottom. Uh, there's something about witnessing it, seeing it, uh, actually seeing it happen. Um, when the team that rarely wins has a great day against their, uh, their rival, uh, it's like the rare times that the Bears actually beat the Packers, because the Packers always seem to be on top, right? Uh, perhaps um, the greatest catalyst for change, perhaps the greatest catalyst for change is when there's a reversal of fortune, when a reversal of fortune plays out. It's in these moments when a life can confront us with a new reality. Um, for instance, just to stick with sports, sorry, when the Patriots woke up and found out they, don't, they no longer have Tom Brady, right? They were on top and now they don't, right? These moments in our lives when our world can seem to be turned upside down. Um, and you know, these moments can be a lived experience, either positive or negative, a sudden, a sudden death of a loved one, a new diagnosis. On the positive, maybe it's a, an unexpected job promotion, uh, a welcoming of a new child. Maybe it's a loss of a job, or maybe it's a pandemic that has changed this world and sort of um, put it in an upside-down status. These reversals of good fortune, or these reversals of fortune, uh, come in many forms in our embodied life. 
but they also come when we hear a new truth. When we hear a new truth. Uh, there's a great reversal happening in today's text that we have just read and that uh, David had shared with the, with the students here. Uh, Jesus is speaking a new truth. Jesus is speaking about a new reality, a new truth that he has come to not only preach, but then also to model in his life. In fact, we see many reversals in our teachings. In our teaching today, we see eight of them uh, in total. Right. So today we have this most difficult passage, I would say, from Luke chapter six. And when I read it, or sorry, when I read it back on Monday, the first word that came to my mind was "yikes." <laughs> Whew. Uh, what am What am I to say on Sunday morning regarding this? not-so-pleasant text, especially for the rich, the well-fed, those who laugh, and the popular. Last Sunday, we wrestled with a passage regarding the calling of the first disciples, and alongside that calling, the miraculous catch of fish. God, once again, in that story, revealing that um, generosity and abundance would mark his life and his ministry. Then Peter, James, and John drop their nets, and they left everything behind. Why? Well, to follow Jesus. So since that story leading up to today's story, that was Luke chapter 5, we're in Luke chapter 6, uh, in the scriptures, much has happened. Uh, but we don't have time to cover all of those stories, but just a, just a general recap. Jesus does some things. He heals some people, he does, he does some teaching, and the religious leaders of the day grumble and they're upset. That's a summation of the about four or five stories that uh, we, we um, don't have time to go through. But back to our text, a couple of observations regarding the most, again, this most difficult text from Luke. And we'll do it just by going through where, who, why, and what. Okay? First, the where. Where does this take place? The heading in your Bible might say blessings and woes, which is obviously true. Though some refer to this passage as the sermon on the plain. The sermon on the plain. Uh, in uh, the NIV translation, he went down with them and stood on a level place. King James Version says he came down with them and he stood in the plain. And if you've grown up in church, you might be aware of the Sermon on the Mount from Matthew chapter 5, um, and there's some similarities between what he says there and in this particular instance. Uh, just before this story, Jesus just got done finishing, uh, he just finished selecting his 12 apostles, and he does so on top of a mountain. So he's on the mountain, he's praying, he's with disciples, and he chooses 12. Chooses 12, and then now he is on a level ground. And I think this is of importance and significance. He is on the plain, meaning he is with the people. And I think the very people with whom Jesus identifies with in his baptism. Because Jesus was also baptized, and he joins us in solidarity. Who? 
is the next question. Well, who? A large crowd of his disciples was uh, there uh, and a great number of people from all over Judea, from Jerusalem, and from the coastal region of Tyre and Sidon. A large crowd, disciples, yes, but many more were there. And where are they from? Well, they're from all of the region, um, uh, Judea, the coastal region, and as far as way of Tyre, as Tyre and Sidon, uh, Sidon, and the, uh, I have a map here, I think in the next slide. And uh, so Jerusalem is down in this blue area right above the green, I think. No, Jerusalem is in the green, actually. And we've had stories that were about Nazareth and Capernaum and Gennesaret last week. And you have Tyre and Sidon way up there. So there's a lot of folks hanging out at this point, okay? What's significant about these two towns? Well, in Matthew's account of Jesus' life, in a section titled, Woe to Unrepentant Towns, Tyre and Sidon are mentioned. (laughs) Woe to unrepentant towns. The people of um, uh, Tyre and Sidon uh, are places uh, that, that deserve destruction. Woe to them. The crowd here, not only Jesus' disciples, but, is, but it's fair to say that all kinds of riffraff have joined the movement. All kinds of people from as far away as Tyre and Sidon. Next question is why. Why do they come? Well, they had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And it, this happened. These things happened. People were being healed, and they were listening to the very words of Jesus. And I just have to imagine, I just have to wonder, I just have to think about um, what that must have been like to hear these very words come from Jesus himself. So then what? What do they hear? Okay, what do they hear? All right, let's start with um, the positive words, I think, that Jesus shares today. Looking at his disciples, he said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you, who, uh, uh, blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you or insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day. And leap for joy, because great is your reward in heaven, for this is how their ancestors treated the prophets. And just as this part of the story unfolds in some different translations, and he lifted his eyes to his disciples and was saying, another translation says, and Jesus turns his gaze. There's a turning, there's, Jesus turns his gaze toward um, his, his people, his disciples. And I think Luke then, just from when I see that, I think there's an emotional intensity as he shares this, these words. He turns his gaze. The first words of a sermon are important. Oftentimes I say, good morning, welcome, how are you? Share a terrible joke of some sort. Uh, extend grace and peace to you. Jesus' first word today is blessed. Blessed, blessed, that's the first word. And he repeats it four times. 
Um, makarios, makarios is, is this word in Greek, blessed or happy, but the word carries much more than just this idea of being happy or content. Uh, it describes when an interior joy becomes external, and external in a way that leads to elation. What is more, this blessedness is not tied to or attached to having wealth. This blessedness is not tied to having enough, uh, to a good reputation, power, possessions of goods that this world has to offer. But it is a blessedness that's actually tied to poverty and poverty of all sorts, not just economic, not just material, um, but also relational and perhaps even spiritual forms of poverty. Because church, there are many forms of poverty. After saying, blessed are the poor, other translations, blessed are the destitute. Uh, the next three blessings further explain who the, who the poor are. Blessed are uh, those, uh, the poor, uh, it's those who are hungry now, and those who, are, who weep now, and those who are looked down upon and excluded because of their connection to Jesus. Uh, one commentator, Joel Green, says it this way, the poor would include all those who have been marginalized in the larger world. And this marginalization is both economic and social. Because back then, and it still exists even today here in the West, economic status leads inevitably to the kind of social status one has. And if you recall from last week, Peter, James, and John left what? To follow Jesus. Everything. This would mean a loss of economic status though they weren't great fishermen. <laughs> Up all night, didn't catch anything, right? But there should be a loss of economic status, economic means, and a loss of any sort of social status that they may have had. They had become poor, like the one whom they, whom they were following. A big picture uh, theme of uh, uh, for this passage today would be Jesus turning the world upside down, and a great reversal is happening. Jesus is describing this great re reversal, and I'm sure that it didn't make sense back then. And I, I feel it still does not make sense today, perhaps even more so, wouldn't you agree? And so our passage concludes with, with this. Go to the next slide there. So, but woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. Woe to you who are well-fed now, for you will, you will go hungry. And woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when everyone speaks well of you, for that is how their ancestors treated the false prophets. I don't really want to go preach this. Any takers? Anybody? Anybody? 
want to address this? How does this speak to us here today? Living in this country that we live in. These are hard words, aren't they? They're difficult to even wrestle with, as we had a wrestling video earlier. These are difficult. Maybe I should be thankful that the inflation rate is is where it is because I'm a little poorer now than I was six months ago. That's not what this is about. But for real, how are we to understand this here and now? Okay, yeah, Larry has something. Go ahead. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm, yeah. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Sure. Great. Let us close in prayer. (laughs) Yes, thank you. (laughs) Thank you, Larry. That's very good. Thank you. Um, But it, it is difficult. Whoa. These are difficult things to ponder. Going back to this idea of, of reversal, remember the wrestling clip, the poor, the hungry, the, the, the weeping, and those who are excluded and hated, they are told that things will get better. And likewise, the rich, those who are well-fed, those who laugh and enjoy popularity, uh, they are told that uh, they will lose what they now have. Is this simply a redistribution of wealth? Is Jesus playing Robin Hood? I'm not sure that's what's going on here. Uh, Nor do I think that Jesus loves the malnourished more than those who have enough to eat. Uh, Does Jesus have a bigger heart for those experiencing loss and sorrow and people who are laughing and having having a good time he's completely annoyed with? I don't think that that's um, in play either. So what is Jesus saying? What is Jesus saying? What do you make of it? How do you hear these words? I think there's a very real danger in hearing Jesus' words as completely and only materialistic. And at the same time, I think it's a very real danger in hearing Jesus' words to spiritualize them and dismiss what he is saying because he can't be for real. For I think um, these things, I think these words must, these words must challenge us. These words must empower us to see differently. 
And not only to see differently, then to respond to the invitation, then to live differently based upon what we now see. Compared to other gospel writers, Luke is the one who emphasizes Jesus' humanity more than the others. Jesus was God, but also Jesus was human. This means that Jesus would have needs as well, just as we do. Jesus would have needs. Some of those needs for Jesus would be physical, emotional, and even spiritual. We too possess these needs, and some of these needs are met and some of these needs are unmet. Like I said previously, um, there are all kinds of poverty out there. There's poverty uh, economically, there's poverty relationally, poverty spiritually. Just as Jesus was body and soul, so are we body and soul. This means that we, at any given moment in time, have a mix of needs. Some of them are met, some of them are unmet. We all know what it's like where parts of our lives can be seemingly rich, full, and abundant. Yet, at the same time, truth be told, other parts of us are empty, broken, and grieving. Like, for instance, the the picture of the bear that uh, uh, David shared. He had the berries in front of him and the bee behind him waiting to sting him. Right? It's... it's, um, this isn't an either-or, I think, but a yes. A yes. We aren't fully on one side of the ledger. We're not fully on the left or the right here. But it's more true is that we, in the same moment, or perhaps even the same season, we can find ourselves on both sides. Uh, and I don't think this is some sort of... Um, words for final judgment or a system of reward and punishment, perhaps a deeper movement or a deeper question is at hand. And probably getting along where Larry was leading us, but how and where we find meaning and significance or value in our lives. Where and how are we finding meaning, significance, and value in our lives? Here's what I mean by this. I think that Jesus in the second half, when he talks about the woes, the woes he's declaring, I think Jesus is asking are you too comfortable? Are you too satisfied? Are you too self-confident, too self-assured, be it materially, relationally, spiritually? And is Jesus saying to us, no, that's not the way. That's not the way. To follow me, that isn't the way. I'm heading. That isn't the way I'm going. Uh, When we think we've got it all, when we think that we have arrived, it is in that place that Jesus is saying that our life is perhaps closed, our lives are perhaps small, our lives are perhaps self-contained. And as a result, there's no openness, no receptivity to anything new, because we've got it all figured out, and we've arrived. There's There's no invitation to a new way of living or a new way of being, or a new way of relating to those around us. With these woes, the danger, I think, the danger is, is when we only look inward and not outward and beyond ourselves. To love the person next door, to love the person down the street, or to love the person on the other side of the border. 
Woe to anyone who thinks they have it figured out. Woe to anyone who thinks they have it made. Woe to anyone who is satisfied with themselves. Woe to anyone who thinks that life is all fun and games. Woe to anyone who lives for only the approval of others. And woe to anyone who is convinced that they have no need for growth or transformation. Woe to you. Conversely, Jesus pronounces blessing for those who are destitute, those who are empty, those who have tears that flow freely, those who have been cut down and excluded. Not because there's any real value in being destitute, empty, weeping, or excluded, but because it is in that place of being poor, destitute, excluded, that our hearts are softened, that our eyes are opened, and that we deeply desire something more. In those times, we are awakened to the reality that the world may not, uh, we are awakened that the reality of what the world offers to us, those things, that, those things don't actually provide meaning or establish our identity. And it's in that place that Jesus says, blessed are you. Blessed are you. This reminds me of what the Apostle Paul shares at the end of his letter in Philippians. He says this in chapter 4, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned but had no opportunity to show it. Paul is in prison at this time. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be what content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. And I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all things through him, through Christ, who gives me strength. There's this plenty and want. There's this both sides of the ledger, right? Our invitation this morning is to be open to pay attention to the deep need that is within us. This will guide us into a, a more fuller, a fuller and abundant life in Christ. And what happens, it will detach us from those worldly values and will open us to an alternative reality, an alternative way of being that is to follow Jesus. This enables us to live lives it's a reversal of the values of the culture where we love our enemies, bless those who curse us, do good to those who hate us, withhold nothing as our own, and provide to those in need without judgment. Amen and amen.